the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Can Christian men and women be friends with one another? And then, why do we believe conspiracy theories? We remember Princess Diana, and later, it's 2032, we're looking into the future of the church. You're listening to The Common Good. Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on the last day of August. La- it's finally the last day of August. I, I know many I don't of us don't most want... most people are feeling okay, finally on I, that I know, one. I know, but I, I'll be honest, I keep looking at my calendar and I'm like, when is the first coming? Like, this is taking <laughs> forever. So I feel grateful. And part of it is this thing I keep complaining about. I'm sorry if you're tired of hearing it, listeners. But my kids are still home. Yes. And so that's part of why I'm sort of wishing time away right now. Normally, we want time to pause and go slow. Right now, I'm ready for time to move quickly so my kids go back to school. Yes, week. you are going to celebrate that. I, I am. Big I, party that I day. cried my children going to school. You are going to celebrate your kids going to school. So, <laughs> uh, yes, my daughter is well into college and class. So what did she do last night? She went to the Pitbull concert. And oh. she was on Pitbull's like, uh, Instagram page and all Stop of this it. stuff. No, are it's you funny. serious? Yeah, college life is good. Wow, college life is good. You're on Pitbull's Instagram page. I'm a little glad you didn't say she was on Pit Pitbull's stage. No, I thought no, you were about no, to say no. he like pulled her up and danced, and no, I was not going to no, feel no. good she about that. She was way up in the upper deck, okay, but they had a flag. Okay. Like it was really oh, funny. That's so fine. anyway, oh, cool. that is what's going on in our life. All right, Aubrey, we talked about it on Monday. You and I have kind of talked about it every day. Uh, the the kind of shocking news about Matt Chandler. Yes. Uh, at Village Church outside of Dallas, Texas. Matt Chandler got up um, uh, at the service on Sunday and said the elders had asked him to take a leave of absence because of some, quote, inappropriate but non-sexual, non-romantic banter, if you will, with a woman friend over Instagram. There's a lot of, like, open-ended things. What does this mean, right? What does coarse joking mean and what is this? So because they didn't answer all of these questions, there is now article after article, tweet after tweet. Going, Lots of people hey, weighing this is in. Yeah. Everything from he's clearly had year-long affairs with him, with right. this woman and many other people, right. too. It is what they said it is. Yeah. And, this, that. and I've told you this has been a hard one for me because Matt Chandler is like the pastor I listen yeah, to. Online. Yeah, he wasn't on your Mount Rushmore of pastors, but you Too really young. like him. You really that like him. That would be a good thing I didn't put him on the well, Mount Rushmore. Really? Man, that would be bad, yeah. <laughs> but one of the things that has come out, and this is what I would love to talk about because there's lots of angles on this, and we want to be very clear. This could go in many different yeah. directions. Yeah. He might have done a lot. There's people, a lot of people who know abuse and all mm-hmm. of this stuff go – he is re- playing the t- the uh, the playbook of someone who's done yeah, a lot more. Yeah, yeah. I'm choosing to believe yeah. that hope, uh, maybe not believe, but hope mm-hmm. that it is what the elders yeah, said it is. Yeah. It's this was just you're starting down a bad path. Yeah, that you and this woman, even though you're uh, there was nothing sexual and there was your your 
uh, your wife, her husband know about the conversations right, right. that it just it, it wasn't above board. Yeah. Right. OK. Yeah. So that has caused people to revisit something that you and I have talked about. And I, and I want to go back to it. So let's work in a world where what the elders of the village church have said it, it happened, happened. OK. OK. So we're going to take it at face value. It is what they but said. It was. Understanding that this yeah, might sure. morph into something sure. else. But let's just take it at face value. It has caused many people, including a blog post I was looking at here from Amy Bird. Uh, she asked this, what Matt Chandler's confession says about women, friendship, and the gospel. Mm. It is brought back into the world the Billy Graham rule. Right, right, which was my big problem with this whole thing from the start. Right. So let's just remind people what the Billy Graham rule is, named after Billy Graham. Billy Graham, Billy Graham who, who is an incredible, incredible minister of the gospel. Oh, my gosh, yes. Like, I I personally have critiques of the Billy Graham rule. That does not defeat his incredible ministry around the world. Yep. Okay, so let's just say that. But the Billy Graham rule was essentially that uh, Billy Graham would never be alone with a woman. Right. And the idea was to protect his reputation, his ministry, and probably his own soul. Correct. From um, any, to honor his wife, yeah, to honor his mm-hmm. wife from any like hint of uh, sexual immorality, lack of integrity. I mean, he wanted to be above board. But what happened was, is the the Billy Graham rule, which I mean, he is he he was a very high profile quote unquote Christian celebrity. So I I can understand why he felt the need to do that when there's so much scrutiny around him. The problem with the Billy Graham rule is that it began to trickle down to like the everyday male pastor who also decided they could never be alone with a woman. Or not even decided. I, I've, I've worked in places where it was told. Okay, it was told. Like, yeah, you, like you this can't, is, this, this is, is our policy. Yeah. And what that ended up doing was centering male power and centering um, the male experience in church at the expense of uh, women... Not only being at the table, but women have been perceived, I mean, and not just since Billy Graham, forever, as um, sort of like sexual vixens who you can't be friends with or else you might accidentally do something you don't mean to do. And and fortunately, it just has really, really um, paved the way for men and women in the church not to be equals and not to be friends mm-hmm. and not and for women not to be leaders in circles at churches as well. Yeah. The, so first of all, if I had a band, it might be called Sexual Vixens. <laughs> but secondly, I should clarify, oftentimes for, for what I know in churches, in, including the ones that I've been a part of, the Billy Graham rule. And Billy Graham rule got a lot of media attention last year, two years ago, Mike Pence. Yes. Former vice president lives by the Billy Graham rule. The church that I was at originally, uh, men were not to be alone with women in their offices. So if I was meeting with a woman, hey, let's meet at a coffee shop. Yeah. Let's meet at. Yes. So that's good to hear because I have been in places where this is not the point, but I've been in the places where like I'm supposed to meet with a guy, another church leader and like. He he won't meet me unless another colleague is there, male mm-hmm. or female. And oh, that's interesting. always so awkward and painful yeah, and yeah. weird and like, what? Um, usually in public, yes. But also there have even been times in my own experience where like I'm headed to the same meeting as like a colleague and he's like freaked out because he doesn't want to be in the car with me. Mm-hmm. And that's a rare thing, but it has happened enough that I'm like. What do you think I'm going to do <laughs> in the car? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Anyway. So what is – this is what I would love to hear from you because I know from you that you've got strong feelings yeah. about the Billy Graham rule yeah. and such. 
But where is their wisdom here? Mm -hmm. So your husband Mm -hmm. is a pastor. Yep. Right? A woman wants to meet with him. You don't, maybe, maybe you don't know her or she's just a part of your church. What is wisdom in these situations versus hard and fast Mm -hmm. rule? Like there's, there's somewhere in the middle is wisdom. So our rule has just always been like, he'll text me. Hey, I'm meeting with so-and-so right now. Interesting. So it's never a secret. That's kind of our rule. Nothing ever happens in secret. I don't care if they meet in his office. I don't care. You know, I've got friends who work for uh, non-Christian organizations, and they're like, yeah, I walk in my boss's office and close the door, and we have a meeting, and then it's over. And, like, (laughs) if anyone was weird about that, that's on them. That's not, like... People are taking what's professional and making it into something that it doesn't have to be. Mm. And so I I think wisdom would be like some transparency, especially if you're married, like how do you and and what your team agrees on. But I don't think the answer is you can never meet with a member of the opposite sex. So let me ask you this. Let's take this away from the work environment. Yeah. So what seems to have gotten Matt Chandler in trouble Mm -hmm. was course joking friendship. friendship. It wasn't. This yeah. is somebody who's my who I who works for me and yeah. I've been meeting and it, you know there's these questions. Yeah. So it's the original question I asked at the beginning of this segment. Can Christian men and women married mm-hmm. not to each other be friends? Mm-hmm. And how do we navigate that? Because again, I think you're right. I don't think the world struggles with this in the same way. Yeah. As Christians, we try to hold up, you know, we don't even want to have the the impression of impropriety, mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Yeah. How should Christians even think about male female dynamics and friendships yeah. in the midst of being married in this world? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say men and women can be friends. Um, and again, I think this goes back to the transparency piece, which is I think why people are kind of freaking out about the Matt Chandler thing because it, at least, if everything is what they say it is, like. There was transparency. His wife knew. The lady's husband right, knew. I'm right. guessing the four of them were friends. Um, I would think so. And so I, that's where I'm like, yeah, it wasn't a secret. I think once it's happening in secret, that's that has to be a red flag for you. Mm. If I'm afraid to tell my spouse about how often I'm texting someone of the opposite sex, like, that's a red flag. Oh, mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't be doing that. Now I'm dishonoring my spouse. Yeah. But if your spouse is fine with it, and if their spouse is fine with it, assuming everyone's married, I'm making a lot of assumptions here, but, like, I I just think Christians, above all, should be able to be friends, yeah. brothers yeah. and sisters. I don't know. What do you think, Brian? You, offer a male I, perspective, because I'm I giving agree. a very female perspective. Uh, <clears throat> Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble when the number one thing is what image are other people seeing? Yeah. At the same time, I want to honor Carrie. I want to honor Absolutely. my wife. Yeah. Um, but yes, I we have to be able to have healthy relationships mm-hmm. above board. Yeah. Uh, but also, if Carrie said to me, I'm uncomfortable then you'd with stop. that person, then I would say, okay. 100%. I will never text that person. I won't Absolutely. hang out with that person. Like, Absolutely. I think our marriage trumps all of these. Absolutely. But it doesn't eliminate all of them. Yeah. And, and I think we have to do that well yeah. because we have a chance to show something to the world out there that says um, – you know, we as Christians can be different. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And you and I host a radio show together, a male and a female. Right, so there you go. Right. And we laugh Hopefully a we lot. don't get fired after this. We might. We might. We Uh-oh. Billy Graham rule. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave the studio door open. Uh, Absolutely. Are we, you and I have been joking. Like our show is a different show, right? Like we're not a news show. Right. We're not right. a political show. Right. We're not just. So like there's so much enormous stuff going on with President Trump right now. 
and I don't have a huge like take yeah, on it. It's not I, that I don't have an opinion. Mm-hmm. I just don't have a take. Yeah, like, you and I have kind of talked about how we've sort of noticeably not talked about what's going and on I with also, the president. And I think it, it is. It's the former president. It looks problematic, yeah. but I'm like watching it going, okay, yeah. you teach me. Like, right. I don't feel like I know enough. So if people are like, hey, I want your, your latest take on these, on these documents at Mar-a-Lago. Right. Seems like a bad idea. Right. I, I, yeah, that seems bad. <laughs> There's my take. And I think he might get prosecuted. And then I think kind of things are going to go crazy because. Yeah. Uh, my guess is that's when we're going to start talking about. I think yes. I've just been waiting to see what happens. And I'm under I'm willing to say he he might be prosecuted. Yes. And if he has done something criminal, he should be. Uh, but let's talk but about it when politi- we know what happens. But if it's a political witch hunt, that's bad. Like, yeah, whatever. So, exactly. There you go. There is Brian and Aubrey's political <laughs> uh, hot take of the day. Of the day. Of the week, <laughs> But probably. I do want to talk about something that happened with President Trump or former President Trump this week. Okay? Okay. Uh, President Trump, on his social media platform, what I think it's called Truth Social, right? Uh, on his social media platform... The other day, he's very worked up about what's going on. Sure, and of course. One thing that we know about Donald Trump is when he gets worked up, he goes crazy. He, he, he just floods social media. Yes. He lashes out. Yes. All of these things. Yes. Well, he shared a barrage of, of content on social media that was just blatant. QAnon stuff, like oh, from wow. QAnon sites, oh, wow. other conspiracy theories that involve him, right? Like okay. the conspiracy theories. And it emboldened a lot of people. And it got me thinking, like, conspiracy theories. So I don't even want to talk about the former president as much as I want to talk about conspiracy okay, theories. gotcha. Why do conspiracy theories exist? So I will, cards on the table. I listen to a podcast called Conspiracy Theories, but I find it fascinating these alternate conversations about things. But on this podcast, they, 95% of the ones I've listened to, they end up landing on the original. Nope, that's what happened. Oh, okay. Okay, interesting. Uh, one or two, they've been like, we believe, actually. <gasps> and I'm like, Whoa! But, like, whether it be, I mean, the list is forever. The yeah. Kennedy assassination. Uh-huh. Uh, whether it be 9-11. Yes. Whether it the, be. And landing on the moon landing. The moon mm-hmm. landing. Whether it be all of these. Mm-hmm. And, and and they're increasing all right. the way up to now. Uh, COVID. Uh, stolen election. Yeah. What's going on in the Ukraine? Like, right. We're right. in the midst of just a hotbed of conspiracy right. theories. I want to ask two questions. Let's start with the first one. So let's be psychologists here. Okay. Why do we, as a as a people, gravitate mm. towards conspiracy theories? Some people really gravitate. Yeah. But a lot of us gravitate a little yeah, towards them. Sure. Why do we gravitate to them? And why, if at all, are they dangerous? Yeah. I. It's hard for me to put myself in the shoes of people who gravitate towards conspiracy theories. Partly it's just I'm a little bit of a more cynical person, meaning... I'm cynical towards conspiracy theories. Oh, so, you're cynical towards the cynical. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a little like, okay, that that conspiracy requires a whole group of people to have agreed to keep this thing a secret. Mm-hmm. And I just don't trust that humanity wants to keep secrets that much. <laughs> Honestly, I don't. I think people want knowledge and they want to tell people that they have knowledge. And so I just don't. It, what, the suspension of disbelief that conspiracy theories require, I'm cynical about. Mm, that's um, interesting. So, therefore, it is hard for me to get in the mind of people who are really like those conspiracy people. They're 
believing stuff. Oh, they're really. I, I, my guess is a lot of it's fear based. Um, they don't like what they're seeing politically. They don't like what they're seeing in the world. And a conspiracy theory is a way to almost justify or validate the fear. Like those people are as corrupt as I thought they were. Yeah. yeah. Um, and somehow I'm guessing there's a version of control in it. I or, was just going to say even that. Like, <clears throat> somehow I know it seems weird because it seems like the conspiracy theory would almost make you more anxious and more nervous. But somehow I wonder if it's a way to sort of numb and self-soothe when you feel like out of control, the world feels out of control. I think that's it. Okay. I think that we are cynical people. Yeah. We think there's always some other story and there's it, it brings back some semblance of control. Yeah. I mean, just just look at where so many conspiracy theories came out of the pandemic. That's true. So what, many. What was at the heart of the pandemic? We had lost so much control yeah. over what we were allowed to do. Right. Fear of, you Even know, dying? our health. Yeah. All of these things, people mm-hmm. telling us what to do. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think conspiracy theories allow us some agency that says, yeah. no, I, I'm going to tell you what what's really going on. Yeah. I know what's really – I'm going to pull back the curtain because there's always something behind mm-hmm. the curtain. There's mm-hmm. always somebody – and we've Pulling seen this strings. seep into the yeah. church about yeah. uh, conspiracy theories about um, – why does this mega church pastor da 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 da? Well, he just wants money, and I can yeah, prove it, and yeah, all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, the church and conspiracy theories. What's the danger to our witness to mm-hmm. any of this? Um, and maybe, maybe you feel like we should be cynical on some level. Yeah. So, what, what's how do we speak to church people about conspiracy I mean, theories? I think the danger of conspiracy theories is that they can become a new version of idolatry. Mm. Like soon, if you if you're not careful, you're so focused on that theory that you've really stopped being anchored and moored in in the truth of your identity in Christ and who God is. And um, it's sort of like the house built on sinking sand, right? Like. Conspiracy theories are just that. They're sinking sand. They're not provable. They're not um they're not foundational anchored solid truth. Mm-hmm. And so your whole life and your a lot of your energy and I would say even a lot of like your power for lack of a better word mm-hmm. is being handed <clears throat> over to something that is just frankly either a bold-faced lie or not true. That's right. Or not tr- not evidentable. Yeah. And so, or evidentable. That's a word I just made up, but I feel like it worked. That, that word worked. Shakespeare, add it to your dictionary. There you go. Um, and so I think it's it's dangerous for your own soul in that way. Okay. And then I guess for the witness of the church, it's just like it keeps us so distracted from um, Jesus and from loving God and loving our neighbor. And frankly, like that's what we're supposed to be about. Not all this other rhetoric around. Yeah, yeah. I, I, what do you think? Brian? Well, speaking of conspiracy theories, I've told you before on my conspiracy theory podcast, one of the conspiracy theories is that William Shakespeare did not exist. Yes. There's that. That it was like a conglomerate, a conglomerate right? of yeah. other writers. Yeah. Uh, Here's we have to realize conspiracy theories have been around forever. Yes. What did they say when Jesus rose That's from the what dead? I was just thinking. Hey, tell them yeah. his disciples came and his stole disciples the body. Came and stole him. Like yeah. that wasn't a, something that was made up recently. Mm-hmm. That was right away. Yeah. This conspiracy theory about yeah. what happened to Jesus's body. I think the danger is that we're losing the ability. I'm not saying there's never any truth to yeah, conspiracy there's, theories. Sure. There's never anything where there's something behind sure, the curtain or sure. whatever. But when truth is always to be doubted, 
What about when we handle the truth mm. word of God? Mm. And mm. What about when we're proclaiming the gospel? What yeah. about that yeah. truth? We are yeah. people of truth yeah. as Christians. Like yeah. by definition, yeah. we are people of the truth. And so if if truth is never to be believed, right. is always to be questioned, right. is always to be disregarded, it, that then begins to seep yeah. into your Bible, into your yeah. faith. You can see why that would be difficult. So I don't I, know where to land with people because there's... Can I say one thing, yeah. though? I think maybe this is where we land. I, I do think what can happen is if we become people who are so focused on conspiracy theories or lies, we think we're... All of that stuff, fine. Except that what it does is it you stop trusting in the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Like you stop going, okay, even if it's a lie, even if there's conspiracy... God is on the throne. God is in control. God has ultimate authority and power over this. Mm. Like there's no conspiracy theory. There's no political figure. There's no group in the world that has more power than God. That's right. And so I think maybe that's where we land is like, remember who's in authority. Remember who's on the throne. Remember who's deserving of your worship and your time. And just, you don't have to get caught up in all that stuff because you can trust the story of God is being played out because God is the one in control over all That's of right. It. That's right. So uh, give it some thought. Are you a conspiracy theory person? And what does that then do as it, as it seeps down into your life? I think an interesting thing to think about. I wish people could see you right now in our studio here. I did post a picture. You did. Yeah. It's like really warm outside today and you are wrapped in a heavy blanket. I am. Because, but tell the people why. Because when we come into our studio, I don't know why it's like this, but it was literally 62 degrees when we walked yeah, in today. Yeah, it's freezing in here, people. We're, Brian and I are suffering for you. I pack a long sleeve shirt every time I come to the studio. I mean, it's wild. It's 100 degrees. Not today, but when it's 100 degrees outside, I pack a long yeah, sleeve shirt. it's freezing in but here. But if you could go to our Facebook page you'll see aubrey uh wrapped in a heavy this isn't like a little blanket <laughs> it's like a fuzzy you, white this is it my is winter as blanket. if you are in the arctic you are st- <laughs> the dogs are outside you're stuck outside like just trying to it's how it feels that's accurate uh, but just look outside at that sun though just look at it yeah it's just it okay. should warm you up all right gospel coalition we like them over there uh, Amy Joseph wrote this, live your virtues, don't just signal them. Let me read the first paragraph, Aubrey. The term virtue signaling has picked up momentum in the past few years. According to Google Dictionary, virtue signaling is the action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. That might seem like, oh, that's a good thing. But Mm -hmm. here's the problem. And here's where virtue signaling gets its negative connotation. It's that person on social media who posts something about them. So you will go, wow, they are such a good person. They are so virtuous. They are so generous. They are so caring. They are so this. It is kind of the virtue signaling uh, screams image caring, yeah, image yeah, making. Yeah. And this article wants to say, uh, how about instead we just live virtuously? Mm-hmm. But what is the, how do you think of the term virtue signaling? Yeah. I, I mean, I think this is a really good definition. Like I, I think what's, it's funny because it, it can cut, you almost don't even see when it's happening on social media, but it can come across as just like, here's where I stand on this issue because I, 
blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Because I've lived with the poor. <laughs> therefore, I, you know what I mean? It's just like. As one who has adopted a child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That kind of, and it's like, you kind of understand where people are coming from. But when it begins to get like a little bit braggy, I guess, is when it is kind of annoying. And then I think like I have a friend who will be like, you just if you're going to go on a mission trip. Just go on the mission trip. You don't need to post about it. You don't need to be share pictures of you with the little like mission kids. Like just like just go and do it. And like I th- I think that's sort of the call in this article here is like we don't have to brag about the things we're doing for God or good in this world. Just do them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all, there should be somebody coming to mind right now for you in your social media feed. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's me. I'm I was like, am say, I a virtue signaler? If there's not, am. then then it may then be it's you. you. I think it's probably The me. person who says, kind of look at me. Uh-huh. And the article goes on here to say, this is not a new problem. It's yeah. just a new term. Jesus to the Pharisees said what over and over again? Woe to you, Pharisees. Mm. You're more concerned with the outside. Yeah. You're a whitewashed tomb. Yeah. You want people to look at you and go, look how virtuous they are. Mm. Look how righteous they are. Yeah. Look how smart they are. Look at this. Yeah. And Jesus' point is, just be that person. Right, but you're right. not. Actually, internally, right. you're not. Uh, here, let me read what she says. This is a good paragraph. While speaking out on important issues is sometimes warranted, the scriptures invite, and she writes, or command us to be more concerned with virtuous living mm, than virtue signaling. That's good. Jesus instructs us to devote far more time and energy to aligning our hearts and lives with the truth of his word than aligning our profiles and feeds with groups or causes. <laughs> oh, wow. That when we're aligned with the word and with who Jesus is and what he's supposed to do, yeah. we'll take up these yeah. causes. But I've also felt this. This is a little less virtue signaling a little more just wanting to have some more privacy and mm-hmm. some more it's what you said before i don't i'm trying to wrestle with do i need to post every monumental moment right, in our face so right. if you look at my feed right now this is the first year neither carrie or i and this wasn't intentional i think it's just where we're at yeah. in our own heads this is the first year and if you've done this this is fine no right. judgment here right. But this is the first year if you went to our Facebook, Instagram, whatever mm-hmm. feeds, you're not going to see pi- first day of first day of school pictures. Wow. You're not going to see yeah. any pictures from our emotional weekend wow. up at dropping our daughter off at college. Interesting. Uh, I didn't post from our vacation yeah. this summer. Yeah. Because I've I've started to feel like I don't do those things so other people comment and mm. like them and go, oh, this is, you know, whatever. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you're a po- – Wonderful. I like seeing your mm-hmm. posts and these things, but it's. I think there's a similar. So I'm going to I'm going to use the Matt Chandler thing as an example, and I'm going to virtue signal about myself here a little bit. <laughs> I, Go have, for it. I have very intentionally not. We've talked about it on the air, so I have talked about it publicly, but I've very intentionally not been one of the masses on social media who have like jumped in with their hot take That's on right. this issue. Um, because I do think in one sense, that's another form of virtue signaling. Like, I think I understand this and I'm going to write about it and I'm going to get enraged about it and I'm going to get a lot of followers about it. And I'm good. And I just don't think we need more noise. Noise is the perfect word for it. And I feel like virtual signal, virtue signaling can be another form of noise. And Amy Bird, she goes on to ask some really good questions for us. Amy Joseph, excuse me, to ask us, um, like, are we are are we virtually signaling or is this something really going on in our heart? Let me read some of these yeah, questions because I think they're they're good for me. I think they're good for all of us. She says, does this cause problem or position show up often in my prayer life? 
if I don't care enough to talk about this in secret with the Lord, then perhaps I don't need to post about it publicly. I think that's a really, really good that's one. So if you're posting about Ukraine, if you're posting about uh, uh, drag queens at my local yeah, library, <laughs> but you're not praying yes. about it, you're not journaling about it, you're not talking to Jesus about it, may not be an issue you actually care about. Mm, you just want good. people to think you are. Then she goes on to ask, are there tangible ways to locally express and discuss this cause, problem, or position? If so, am I engaged in a meaningful and practical way? It's far easier to post about a position than to step into the messiness of real life with real people. If I have not tried to engage locally, perhaps that's a better entry point than social media. Mm. I think that's good. Yes. I think that's really good. Are you actually doing – because that's the hard work. Yeah. Like if you – we should be posting about abortion and all this stuff, but are you – Backing it up with, are you at the protest? Are Caring you, net. Are you giving money? Are yeah. you serving single moms? Are you writing moms? your political leaders? Yes. Are you, yeah, yes. I think that's so good. She also asks about your bank account, which I think is always very telling, right? With the things we spend like money on. One. Does my bank statement show any hints of sacrificial or creative giving towards this cause, problem, or position? Our wallets are often an excellent indicators of our hearts. I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really yeah. convicting yeah. one. She goes on to say, are there current relational networks who have engaged more actively or for a longer period of time Mm -hmm. that I can listen to? That's good. And who is the hero of this post? If it's a group, a a party, or a person, is there a way I can point people to the character and nature of Jesus? Let me just read how she ends. She said, if we do feel led to publicly align ourselves with a cause, stance, or group, may we engage with humility and give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from him, we're not virtuous. Mm. If Jesus hadn't aligned himself with our cause to the point of death on the cross, we would be without hope. But the more we look at and hide ourselves in the virtuous one, the more virtue will flow out of our lives. That's the interesting point. Yeah. Virtue signaling is kind of surfacey level. As I'm connected to the vine, to use the book of John, right? Yep. If I'm connected to the vine... I'm going to naturally grow in virtuousness, in virtue. That would be the word. I'm actually going to grow in the things that I'm trying to signal, and people are going to go, that's a virtuous Mm -hmm. person. That's that's the irony of this conversation. You don't need to pretend. You don't need to go, will people think I'm virtuous? So an interesting one. a, really uh, good things to think about. Me. Totally. That's right. Such good things to think about. That's right. Uh, Brian, we were just talking about how it was the anniversary of when you and your wife went on our first date. Went on your first date. That's you went right. to the White Sox. We did. And you saw some fireworks. years ago today. Um, I don't think I told you. Can I tell you about my first date real quick? I would love to hear it. Ke- I'm with Kevin. That is not my first date. My first date with my husband. <laughs> yes. The only one that matters. Uh, we went to a, like... This was kind of high class for Kevin. We went to like a jazz club and there was a band playing. Your first date was a jazz yeah, club? I'm just kind of thinking about like, that was really fancy for two college students, but especially for Kevin Sampson. We listened <laughs> to this band play and then I really, the drummer had these really cool drumsticks. I don't totally remember what was cool about them, but they were unique. And Kevin stole one for me at the end of our date. That is awesome. Yeah, I, I actually think he didn't steal. It. I actually think he asked. He was like, hey, I'm trying to impress this girl. And so he gave him one. But he told me he stole it for me. And what did you think of Kevin after date one? Like, what was so, you went back and your roommates yeah. were like, tell us. Yeah, this was the most quintessential Kevin moment, which still makes me smile, which tells you what I thought about him. So the end of our date, he's dropping me off in front of my apartment, which was on Wheaton campus, campus but not a campus apartment. And you know how... Typically, you there's a like a walkway and a greenway, and then you go up the steps to your apartment. Uh-huh. Instead of parking on the street, 
My future husband drove the car up the curve onto the grass, literally parked right in front of the steps of the apartment to drop me off. And I was like, I love this guy. He's the one for me. He's, he's the, the one. one. He's the one for me. As one who knew Kevin Sampson in that college, that you, is not it? a yeah, surprise very, one bit. Kevin constantly sort of breaking the mold of expectation. Anyway, so it's it's uh, a good day to remember things. It is also the 25th anniversary of the death of Princess Diana. Mm-hmm. Um, unbelievable that that's been 25 years and unbelievable that there's still so much controversy around her well, death. Well, it's conspiracy theories that we talked yeah, about earlier, that's for sure. Conspiracy theories around it and so much interest in the... So much interest in the royal family, so much interest, and I think so much comparison now with, uh, you know, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and how the... the um, Paparazzi. Thank you. That's sort of like we're paparazzi going after them and how traumatized he is. Lots and lots and lots of controversy even now. But I think it's worth stopping to remember uh, the life of Princess Diana. I think the thing that makes me sad is it, you know, she seemed very, at least in some of the modern, like, biopics about her, she seemed very sad. Very sad. And very broken and um, made a lot of good, did a lot of good in this world, but just seemed like a very heartbroken young girl. Searching. There's certainly a searching element. And I think something that, like, I I saw an article, and this this kind of broke my heart for her. It said something like, 25 years of fashion from Princess Diana. And I was like, you know, let's <laughs> even now, like, could I know she was a fashion icon, but like, let's not just reduce her to that 25 years after her death. Like, can we move the conversation a, a little forward? And what do you think it is that causes? I, I do think that this was, and for me, it was a major life moment. Obviously, I went on my first yep. date with my future wife, but. Yep. What do you think it is? It, it was a remember where you are moment. Yeah. Right? That was yeah. a remember where you are moment. Yeah. Uh, but what do you think it is that causes certain people, their death or their life or whatever, maybe it is because they died young, to resonate for 25 mm-hmm. years? Like a lot of people, celebrities, yeah. really big, that there's a big deal when they die. Right. 25 years later, you're not, you're not still commemorating it, it. Or you're like, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. When that person died, there's something about Princess Diana yeah. that has resonated for a long time. I wonder what that is. What yeah, do you think she that might really be? Did have, I mean, I she had the hearts of people. Like, I mean, I can remember as an American girl, so I'm not obviously not British. Uh, I had Princess Diana paper dolls, and they were my most. They were like a prized possession to paper have. Dolls. Yeah, I don't know if you remember paper dolls. Those of you who are listening, I still I miss paper dolls. But you get a book. And it would have like, you know, Princess Diana and you'd cut her out and then it had like her different outfits and you would dress her up and put her in a hat and have tea. And I loved paper dolls. I collected paper dolls growing up. Sounds so weird now that I'm saying it out loud. That's awesome. But like here I am across the world and so many of my friends were impacted by Princess Diana. I do think part of it was her youth. I do think part of it is because she was kind of a fashion icon slash celebrity and part of it is just sort of like the devastation of she's been chased by the paparazzi her entire life. And in the end, that's what led to her demise. I do remember being at Wheaton College and um, Mother Teresa, her, the anniversary of her death is coming up because I remember they're like, we're in college. I remember. OK, they're like, right. They might even be in the same week. The fact that I don't know that tells you something. We'll have to look. But I do remember the chaplain at Wheaton saying that we should be 
honoring the life of Mother Teresa more than the life of Princess Diana. It was the same. It was a week later. Okay, she it was died. a week later. She, I'm looking this up. Mother Teresa died September the 5th of okay. 1997. So one week later, and he was kind of comparing like the world should be more upset about Mother Teresa than Diana. I don't know that that's fair. Yeah. Like I actually, I remember People grieve as they like, grieve, right? That's weird. Yeah, we grieve as we grieve. It's a, a loss is a loss. But I, I maybe because she was in the public eye, not just as a celebrity, but as a royalty. And because it was... Because it was sort of like the normal girl becoming a princess and then everything was so devastating. That's maybe why she stuck with us. I don't know. Well, what do you I think, think there, the, part of the answer is, and this is a sad commentary, but tragic death makes for icons mm-hmm. and heroes, right? Mm-hmm. Who are some of the most iconic That's singers? That's true. Elvis. Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Well, what yeah. did Kurt Cobain do? He shot himself at the age of 27. Right, right, and there was right. like this whole versus like. Mother Teresa lived a wonderful life, right. a virtuous life, right. someone to be admired, but she did die really old. Yeah, and so yeah. I do think there's something to that. But I do also think that it resonated the death of Diana because I think what you said was whether it was true or not, the feeling back then was like she is just not being treated fairly right. and that that actually led to her death. And right. then you, you all the documentaries yeah. and the movies right. and her kids were little and they're walking behind the casket and all of this stuff. Um, I think that's what did it. If, if I can remember, but yeah, that was such a big deal. People woke up really early um, and uh, to watch the funeral. I, I, I do remember yeah. that being yeah, a there, big deal was, in America. It was a, it was a really big deal, probably around the world, frankly. Okay. So let's move on from Diana, obviously, you know, remembering her and thinking of her family today, but I always think it's worth pausing and having one of our little regular legacy chats, because we all know whether or not your life ends early or you live a good long life, life on this earth will come to an end. Mm-hmm. And so I always think it's worth kind of pausing to go, okay, so if that is indeed true, we don't know the day or the hour, then what what type of legacy do we want to leave? That's right. What are the um That's right. what are the memories we want to have left? What do we want our family to know? And I think Brian, I go back to the same thing, which is like not about not about achievements, not about all the amazing things, you know, you do, but really like do the people around me feel loved and yeah. accepted and encouraged? Yeah. If I've done that, then I think that's the legacy. And am I living with any sense of urgency? Mm. Uh, yeah, that's true. That says, um, you know what? I'm going to uh, live as if today could be my yeah, last. Yeah. And that could become overwhelming, but it, it is super important to say, am I going to live in such a way that says, maybe today is it mm-hmm. next week is it mm-hmm. a year from now is it and if i get to that point i want to have done this today yeah. Yeah. or tomorrow i, I that could become a that could become an overwhelming feeling but i do think it's an important one for us as christians to go no no it's important for us to to do that so yeah, to, anyway to live with some intentionality how old do you think princess diana was when she died uh it's going to make you feel old was she late 40s 36 no she wasn't 36 oh, years old. Wow. 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 That does make me feel old and wow. Bless her heart. One of the things that we love talking about at the common good is the church trends in the church. 
And there is no better voice to go to than Carrie Newha. He's a great voice for it. He is an organizational and cultural trend studier, researcher, guru. <laughs> I, that's what it says on his card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, writing a lot about the church. And he, um, over at his blog, CarrieNewhoff.com, is talking about the future of the church. And he says this, imagine it's 2032. While it's impossible to predict what will happen to the future church, the last few years have left us with more than a few clues. When the pandemic hit in 2020, it's fair to say no one was prepared for the drastic changes every leader had to make. But what happened after the initial shock and the impact of the pandemic wore off revealed the most. And he goes on to talk about uh, bitter political division, Supreme Court decisions, questions about how to reopen churches. All of this revealed a lot about where the church is headed in the next decade. So um, he has a list for us of ways he thinks the church will change, what's left in 2032. Do you have any guesses before we go through his um What's his left ideas? in 2032? Yeah. So he's a very positive dude. Mm-hmm. Like if I were making this list, I would say churches in general are smaller. I would say that, too. But I don't know that he's going to say that because he's a big church guy. Like, <laughs> okay, hey, do okay. X, Y, and Z to yeah. grow your church. Yeah. But I would say that I, there's probably something about hmm, – I see part of me wants to say he's going to say it's more politically divided. But part of me wants to say he's going to say it's less politically driven. So I'm interested. Let's see interested. where he goes. Okay, let's see where he goes. Okay. The first thing he says is this, one, Christian America has died, and the leaders who kept looking back never moved forward. This Mm. is a quote. The pastors who kept looking back imagined a culture governed by Christian values and refused to see the world for what it was increasingly become. Um, What do you think he means by that? I think he's saying the younger generations are less uh, enamored by Christian America, by yeah. America being Christian, yeah. by yeah. politicians being Christian, by uh, whereas maybe our generation and certainly the generation before us, that was a thing. Yeah. And I think what he's saying is that, and I would applaud this, that maybe there's going to be less intermingling with the next coming generations of church and state, of uh, we have to make this a Christian nation. And, and uh, you know, he says... The overwhelming identification of Gen Z and Gen Alpha. I didn't know there is a Gen That's, Alpha. I think our kids are Gen Alpha. As having no religious affiliation transformed America into a thoroughly post-Christian culture. So it's this idea that we're this Christian nation, I think, will continue in his mind to go away. Mm, yeah, he says leaders who kept keep looking back, never move forward. Mm. I think that's really interesting. I think he's probably right about that. He's whether, or not, whether or not we feel great about that or not, I think he's actually right. Okay, two. Growing churches, this is interesting, are now digital organizations with physical locations. Mm. He says, in the last decade, dying churches saw digital church as an obstacle. Growing churches realized it was an opportunity. I actually think the church is going to do more what you said, Brian, become smaller, and I think maybe become a little more like house church model-y. Or if not. Um, but I this th- is interesting. Yeah, I, th- I, I think this is where I would probably push back on him now. Is does there need to be digital footprints? Absolutely, there. You need a good website, your yep. social media, yep. you're connecting with people. Service so, online, something. But I something feel like, like he's that. saying mm-hmm. we're going to become much more digitally driven yeah. versus relationally driven, and yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, I think those who are digitally driven with the church are going to continue falling away from the church. Interesting. That's my 
Now, I don't lead a big church, yeah. right? I lead a church where yeah. people long to be together, mm-hmm. where our production value is not off the charts. I agree. But I don't sense people. Anyone that I know who's like, hey, I'm watching you online, I know they're not. Or I know right. that they're not to the extent that not, they say they are. not really in. Right. Like, those are the first people to sort of be like, oh, we haven't seen you in a while. Oh, suddenly you're no longer giving. Oh, you're not a part of our church anymore. He right. says, ironically, churches that focus primarily on physical attendance only see declining attendance. Churches that focus on digital connection see the opposite. I, I hope that's not right. I hope that's not true. Yeah. Okay, three. The majority of church attendees are no longer in the room. I don't like this concept because it's a disembodied church. But he says, as the digital revolution exploded over the last 10 years, almost everything shifted out of central locations. Everything from work to shopping to food to fitness and entertainment shifted to digital. Dying churches confined ministry, their buildings. Growing churches didn't. The only thing I don't agree with this about is... I'm seeing the next generation, like Generation Distinct, Hannah Granowski's organization is a good example of this. They want to be together all the time. They Mm. want to be together in small circles, worshiping God around a fire. They are connecting digitally, but like they're very intentional about their time together. So I actually, I'm not saying it needs to be in a church building, but I think he's wrong that the digital experience will outweigh the in-person I think you and I are feeling in this article the distinct, uh, the tension of he speaking about big growing. I don't want to use necessarily the term mega churches, but that sort of feel yeah. you and I are like, listen on my church. All I'm sensing from people is let's be in the building. Let's be together. Let's right. and not even in the building as much as physically together where I will agree with him is this is where I thought he was going was that people are there less often. That's true. That and is that is something that I think is going to continue to grow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, let's let's share a couple other future predictions for the church. On-demand access now greatly surpasses live events. Hmm. So people are watching sermons when they're ready, not when you're ready. I, 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 I sense just a lack of community in these yeah. that I don't know that I agree with. Yep, I agree. Growing churches shifted their focus from gathering to connecting. I think now I, we're back like together. That. Yep, I think that's good. Uh, number six, community and connection matter more than content. I think that's true because yep. you could get content anywhere. Yep, you can get content anywhere. That's true. Better content yeah. than what I can give you. Yeah. Now he's going back to digital here. Number seven, growing churches are staffed for digital. Again, if you're talking about the numbers of people connected to your church, that's probably true. Mm-hmm. Like it's it, growing in terms of I have more people under the umbrella of my church. Yeah. Uh, yes, I think that's true. But I just... I would push back on Carrie Newhoff here and say, I don't, in my context, my friends, my people, my church, I don't sense a desire to be more digital. Yeah, I agree. You might reach more people digitally. Right. So maybe that's all he's saying. Right. I don't sense this longing of like, can we please give me more digital no, disconnected content? I don't hear content. anybody saying like, yeah. Look, can we please be online again? I want to be in my house. Right. Like, I'm, I'm seeing people... Be like, I want to be part of a church experience. Like, right. I want to be with other believers. I've been isolated for a long time. But we'll see. We'll see post-pandemic how the next generation kind of leads us. Um, v- anyway, very interesting to think about the church in 2032. And, Will we still and be where... in the church? That's what I want to know. Okay, so 10 years from now, you and I are 55. So obviously we hope to be, part Lord of willing, a we're alive. Lord, Lord willing, we're alive and part of a church body. I think the bigger question is... Will we be at our current churches in 10 years? Will we be on a church staff at all? 
I suspect so, but yeah. will we be on our current? Because you and I started our churches. Yeah, we started our churches. So it's always a big deal to think uh-huh. about. I've told people, some days I think I'll be gone in six months, and some days I think I'll be here 30 years. Yeah, so yeah. to know what actually mm-hmm. will happen in 10 years, I think it'll be fascinating for us. Will you pass us. the baton on, or, or will you still be the... Will they ask me to have passed the will baton they, Will they be like, your time is up, old man? Yeah, interesting, interesting, And a lot of churches, I'm sorry to keep going, no, but a do, lot of churches go. are sizes yeah. and are age. So mine's 12 years old. Yours is younger than that. Yep. They don't make it 20 years. They so, don't make it 20 so years. So let's really go, uh, mm. is my church still mm. existing in 10 years is, is a yeah. sobering question to think. Yeah, sobering question and definitely like, Lord, please let it still let it still be here. It's the end of today's show on Wednesday evening. At the end of every show, we love to put something out there in the world that will make you smile That's or right. inspire you. And we love to hear from Scott Sauls, pastor down in Tennessee, guy with a lot of wisdom and a lot of, um, what would you say, authenticity? Oh, absolutely. I mean, sometimes he has uncomfortable authenticity sometimes and he transparency does. is uh-huh. another word. And it's all really important, but he talks about his own battles with depression as a yeah. pastor. He talks about his insomnia because of his anxiety. Mm-hmm. He do- and you're like, dude, like a little less, but it's yeah. great. It is, it is, it says more to me about me than him where I'm like, man, are you sure you want to share yeah. this? Because he's very open about, about his struggles in leadership. He's, and he's, mm-hmm. he's leading a big growing church, mm-hmm. writing books that are super successful, yep. a blog that people read, a yep. Twitter that people follow. Like he's kind of made it. And he's like, <laughs> I struggle, I struggle at night with crippling I anxiety. I sleep at night. Yeah. That's he's right. very real about that, which I think is why people are so drawn to him. Honestly, I think so too. Because of that transparency and his faithfulness to God in mm-hmm. the middle of it. Mm-hmm. So he shared something on his blog recently, which was advice to his 13 year old self. And I think it's worth talking about advice to our 13-year-old self as well, Brian, like mm-hmm. what we would say to our 13-year-old versions. But let's walk through his, and then we'll kind of reflect on it. Um, he's, he starts by—we uh, won't read you the whole letter, but he starts with this. I think it's so cute. Dear Scott, hey, it's me, a much older version of you. I've lived most of my life now and see the world much differently than I did when I was walking in your younger shoes— And even though your body language says you're not interested in the things I'm about to share with you, I know on the inside you are secretly (laughs) eager to hear what I have to say. So here goes. The first thing he says is you cannot be everything you want to be. He says you will you more than anything want to win Wimbledon someday. (laughs) In a few years, this dream is going to change. You're going to want to become a pro basketball player. You are going to try with all your might to accomplish both, but neither is going to happen you will never even come, come close. close. And he says, but the good news is, is you can become everything God wants you to be. Hmm. And that's pretty special. Uh, that's that's interesting. It's good. Yeah, I be thought Be the was best good. version of who God mm-hmm. has created you to be. And yeah. figure, you know, you're writing to your 13-year-old self here. Part of that is, how are you going to figure that out? What is that yeah. process going to look like? Uh, he quotes Steve Jobs here, your time is limited, so don't mm. waste it living someone else's wow. life. That's great. Yeah. You know, all of us, especially boys, when we were 12 years old, we wanted to be the shortstop of our favorite baseball team, the point guard of our favorite basketball team, the quarterback of our favorite football team, the rock star that we see. Like, that, right, of course, we all right. wanted to be that. You yeah. wanted to be Princess Diana and your paper dolls. I did. I wanted a paper doll. And then made eventually after me. you go, no, but God has a plan yeah, for me. God right. has uh, something for me. That's right. I, I love this. Such a good piece of advice. The second one is this being humble and kind is 
always better than being popular or cool. Not at 13. Not at 13. He says, Scott, so he's talking to younger Scott, you spend so much time worrying about what other people think of you out of this deep, even desperate desire for others to like you more. You sometimes say and do things that make you like yourself less. Mm. That is so accurate Mm -hmm. of teenagers. Ooh. I want to tell you that you don't need to do this ever. In fact, you shouldn't. Being humble and kind is always better than being popular and cool. This is especially true when being popular or cool involves being something other than being humble and kind. It's true that peer pressure as a 13-year-old mm. and the the desire for acceptance yeah. is so high. It is so high. And the things you, you'll do that make mm. you feel bad, you know, you're just like, uh, I think back to my 13-year-old self going, oh my gosh, I was so awkward and yeah. lost. Like, who and am I? Really I? Did. I mean, I think that's very insightful. Like, I really did things and I see some teenagers in my life doing things like they actually don't want to do and they don't like that they're doing but like you do you get caught up in that trap at Mm -hmm. that age especially i love that he kind of brings his younger self to this he says um having friends will most will occur most naturally when you seek to be a friend to others Mm. when you are intentional about being approachable and loving toward everyone just as jesus a true friend whom you'll discover later in your life is approachable and loving towards you yeah so sweet Goes on to this next one, number three. The earlier in life you start investing, the richer in life you are likely to be for the rest of your life. He says this applies to wealth, but even more importantly to your relationships and your faith. The earlier you become all in with loving God and loving others, the more fulfilling and meaningful your life is going Mm. to be. Don't wait until you're all grown up. That's a really good one. I I was like, wow, Scott Sauls is giving investment advice. I thought that was investment advice too, but... but a lot of times we dis- dismiss what you can do and know at the age of 13, yeah. right? But he's saying, hey, listen, at 13, the calling on your life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, love mm-hmm. your neighbor as yourself. And the sooner you learn that, you're going to have richer relationships, yeah. a deeper relationship yeah. with God. Like, don't wait till you're 18, right. 25, right. whatever else right. it might be, because you're, quote, unquote, a kid. He's quoting Steve Jobs again. I didn't know there were so many inspirational Steve Jobs oh, quotes. Yes. He says this, the wealth I have won in my life, I cannot bring with me. What I can bring is only the memories precipitated by love. That's the true riches which will follow you, accompany you, giving you strength and light to go on. Mm. Love can travel a thousand miles, cherish others. Steve Jobs right there, wise guy. Number four, never forget how loved and important you are. Scott, you're worth so much more, so much that Jesus gave his life for you and you're a special gift from God to the world. Mm. I know you don't feel that way right now and that you've never felt that way. But one day you will begin to discover it and it will make all the difference. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. so sweet. Yeah. And yeah. he says, I'm cheering you on and I'll see you in 41 years. At the age of 13, <laughs> none of us feel loved and none yeah. of us feel important. Well, uh, we feel loved. We know our parents yeah, love us. But, right. but by others, like you don't feel enough. You mm. don't feel good. In a lot of ways, like this is the this is why he wrote this post. Because a lot of ways, 13-year-old self is still in there. Oh, it is Brian, still in there. You the nail on the head. Wanting yep. people's acceptance. Yep. Willing to do things for people's acceptance. Yep. Uh, so all of the it, it changes. It looks different at 45 or in yeah. his case, 54 than at 13. But yeah. it's not like this is just a 13-year-old problem. Oh, it's not a 13-year-old problem. Okay, after hearing this, Brian, what advice would you give to your 13-year-old self? Or what if this kind of stood out to you? Um. Yeah, I think what I would, it's the one about, um, you're, so I'll just put it this way, like, you're going to be okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, God's got a plan for you. God's got you. Um, 
you're loved, you matter. Yeah. Because I think at 13, you just don't feel seen. Mm. You just don't feel, you feel like everyone else is the cool kid. Totally. And I've got to try to fit in. And I, yeah. I, I think, and thankfully, I feel like I learned it pretty early on in like high school and stuff. But I do think the earlier in life you can go, this is who I am. God loves me. I'm going to invest in the people who love me. Mm-hmm. And we're going to build deep friendships. Yep. Like the better off you're going to be. It's so true. The better off you're going to be and just enjoy life more. Like yes. there's a lot more freedom in that as well. I think it's, I mean, it's kind of funny, this first one, you cannot be everything you want to be. But I I still think I kind of wrestle with that. Like, I still want to do this, and I still want to do that. I still want to, like, I, yes. I, I'm kind of like an achieving-oriented person. And so to be like, look, you're not going to come close to do all the things you want to do in life. And that's actually okay, because you will be the person God yep. wants you to be and ultimately discover that his greatest accomplishments will not be the ones that make a name for himself, but mm-hmm. the ones done in love. This is Scott uh, quoting to his younger kids. So the greatest accomplishments will not be the ones that make a name for us, but the ones that are done in love. I think that's, yeah, that's a good reminder for Absolutely. the adult version of ourselves. So let us know, what advice would you give to your 13-year-old mm-hmm. self? You can let us know on our social media at Common Good Talk. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.